This episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast was brought to you by PayRight, a buy now, pay later, flexible payment option, making treatments more affordable to clients by spreading the cost of purchases over time. Hello and welcome to the Beauty Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauté Industry, Tamara Reed. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauty Industry. Today, my guest is Susie McIntosh. No doubt you've heard Susie's name mentioned or may have seen her work as Susie is easily recognized as one of Australia's most well-known and highly coveted cosmetic tattoo artists. Over the years, Susie has developed a celebrity client base and an international following, some of which have flown in for her brow services from countries such as the US, London, Europe, Dubai, Singapore and Tokyo to experience her work firsthand. With two salons in Melbourne and Sydney and a team by her side, Susie is renowned for her signature feather brow with combination of subtle ombre brows, which means that she uses both machine and blades to finesse her work. Today, Susie and I talk about the work behind the brand, her leadership and management of an interstate team, and two we explore her relationship with travel and balance. Here is Susie and I for Beauty Industry. Susie McIntosh, welcome to the Beauty Industry podcast. Hey, Tamara. Thanks for having me on. Ah, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with me this morning. I'm so excited to have a chat with you. Um, As I mentioned offline to you in our Instagram DMs, we have had so many requests to hear your story and people want to hear everything about Susie. So I am so excited that we can do that for them. Yeah, that's very flattering. That's really nice to hear. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So Susie, we start all of our podcast episodes by going way back to the beginning. And I want to find out where did your actual entry into the beauty industry begin? How did you get there? Okay, so I actually used to work as a logistics coordinator for Holden. Um, but I actually learned how to do brows when I was 16 because I grew up with my mum and my sister Um, always going to the salon to get their brows threaded and I'd be really fascinated and intrigued by the process and I'd watch the women do their brows and that's when I truly understood how important brows are to a woman's beauty. So I would start practicing and on my friends and my family and I'd do it on the side but when I worked full time I was talking to someone and I really wanted to explore working in a salon and having that it's, it's totally different than the corporate world and I was too scared to make that jump and leave my corporate role and explore or pursue beauty full-time so she actually gave me the opportunity to work at her salon on the weekend shaping brows and I fell in love. I love what you said there about you know everlasting beauty really is all in the brows I mean we know that we can kind of lose the fat pads in our cheeks so we know that everything yeah. kind of gets a little bit deflated and gravity takes hold but it's almost like the brows are always there and that's kind of what beauty is I love that. 
and it can make you look younger as well. And you never really see a beautiful woman with bad eyebrows. Yes. Yeah. 100%. So then talk to me, you're, you're 16, you're loving brows already, but then you move into the corporate world and, and you're working at Holden and people are coming up to you saying, oh my goodness, you're stunning. Look at your brows. And you're like, oh, I, I do these myself. <laughs> yeah, they would ask me, where do you go for your brows? And I would tell them I do them myself. And they would just, you know, be like, oh, can you do mine? And so on my lunch break, would go into the boardroom and I'd be, I'd have a lineup of co-workers just doing their brows on the boardroom chair, running a business within a business. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, it seems to me like you've been pretty passionate about brows since 16, which is very fortunate because I think not a lot of people know, you know, if you had asked me at 16, what do you want to do? I couldn't even imagine that I'd be doing what I'm doing now. So I think it's super, you know, lucky, but also it's hard to keep a passion since you were 16. Like how oh, do you completely. get inspired? I knew I loved brows, but honestly, I couldn't say to you that I would ever imagine, you know, that's what I'd be doing now. I never thought that there was even a career in eyebrows. Um, I know I loved everything beauty. I loved makeup, playing around with makeup, with hair. And so when I started working at my friend's salon, the decision was to leave Holden, my corporate role, into the beauty industry. So I actually started and I did my diploma and I did facials, nails. Um, makeup and everything. I, I went full, full circle because I had my brow clientele from the very beginning. I went into beauty and offered all these other services. But as my brow clientele kept growing, I had to keep culling services. And then I was just down to brows and lashes. Yeah. And there are a lot of people now who are niching down into being a specialist of, of one particular service rather than yeah. a generalist. Did you find you really kind of got your groove once you started saying, okay, I'm not going to do lashes. I'm not going to do nails. I'm just going to put all of my energy into brows. It was just what I was good at. I can't say that I was very good at facials and nails. And I, I know I'm good at makeup, but I didn't have a passion for it. I didn't have a passion to get up in the morning at four o'clock and drive out and, you know, work on brides for their wedding day. I felt like that was a lot of pressure, mm. but brows was something that just comes easy for me. Talk to me about then the decision to leave a really steady full-time corporate role and go into something that is very unknown at such a young age. Yeah, that's probably the scariest decision because when you start up any business, you know, it takes a lot of sacrifice and especially change of income. You have to change your lifestyle for a little while when you start up. But I realized working in the beauty industry, that was true to me and it, it's what made me happy. Um, and that outweighed everything else. Oh, that's so beautiful. I think it's definitely scary. I mean, even reflecting back on my time when I was in corporate and moving into beauty industry, like I didn't have any money to start a business. I didn't have any clue what I was doing. But sometimes when you when you get that push and you're there, it's kind of like, okay, well, I have to make this work because I've got rent to pay. I've got bills to pay. So exactly. sometimes the push is also nice. It's fear of the unknown, you know, Am I going to succeed? Am I going to fail? What I would advise anyone is if you do fail, like you can always go back, try it. Don't live in regret, fail. And then worst case scenario, go, go back to the corporate life. And, and I love what you're saying there because it is so easy to go back or to pivot or to be flexible. And if you don't try, I think that's where the failure happens because you'll yeah. always be wondering what if. It's always going to be at the back of your mind and you know, you're going to come to an age where you've been in that 
job that you didn't like for X amount of years and you feel like you've wasted opportunity. And then when you get older, you get that confidence to be able to take that risk. And you know what? It's never too late to start. But I don't regret taking that risk when I was younger and doing all the hard yards then. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And can we have a chat about your first store that you opened? How did you get the confidence to do that? I mean, I think that's such a big risk in itself. And then, you know, for you, for you, I mean, that's your whole brand. How did you go ahead and, and run that clinic and make sure that, you know, you were busy enough to create an income and actually to create a business and a brand? Yeah, that was really scary, signing my first lease, knowing that, you know, you've got rent to pay now, you've got overheads, you've got staff, you've got outgoings. So, but by the time I actually did that, I had already built a solid client base from home. So I knew I already had the work going into the salon. Yeah, gorgeous. And so when you actually started building up that work and building up your profile. I really appreciate for you that you actually did that and you put in the hard yards. Cause I think what a lot of people do nowadays is they're at a home salon and they want a bricks and mortar salon, a clinic, you know, in a beautiful shop front and they want all the trimmings, but then they kind of get there and they open, they go, Oh, well, where are all the clients, you know? So I really appreciate that you kind of built up your brand and your specialty and, and all of that clientele base before you made that smart decision of, okay, well, now I've outgrown the home business. It is actually time for me to move into a space that is a little bit more commercial. Yeah, I never wanted to do anything out of my means. So to this day, I've never taken out a business loan. I always, whatever I earn, I put back into my business. So, you know, people always see where you are now, but they don't understand. I mean, other business owners understand the grind for a good five, 10 years before you even see anything. But I was putting back into the business for about six years before I was able to draw an income and reap the rewards. I, I exactly cannot agree with you more there. I think everyone's like, oh, she's got, you know, 100,000 followers on Instagram. She's an overnight success and she's killing. Oh, no, I don't. I've got, I don't have 100,000, no way. <laughs> uh, just in general, you know, I think social media, we see this yeah. big following. And, we and just we see, see numbers and we forget, you know, that they're people watching yes. what you're doing. And truly, I forget because, yeah, it's just, it's a number, but you forget, you know, you put that many people into a room and it would shock you. <laughs> oh, it's scary, isn't it? But it's nice to know the kind of the startup phase of business, because I guess everybody's looking at this kind of high level of beauty entrepreneur now and business owner and going, oh my goodness, how did they get there? Like they've got this and they're flying here and they've got these clinics and da, 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 they've got this profile, but it's kind of like, well, I actually worked really, really hard to get here. It doesn't just yeah. come from luck. It comes from training and putting in the work and, and that passion being. takes a lot of sacrifice, significant sacrifices yeah. to be successful at anything. Yeah, for sure. And so talk to me about then your brand because, you know, we see a set of brows now and we know they're brows by Susie. You know, you've got such a strong <laughs> aesthetic and, and such a strong look. How did you develop that personal brand and really get your name out there? So even to do with my brand being my name, that wasn't intentional. My brand name was Lash and Brow Boutique when I first started, but because it was just me, people weren't tagging Lash and Brow Boutique on their selfies. They were tagging my personal account. So I changed my personal Instagram 
um, to my business one and I started posting photos of my work. And I was hugely inspired by Kelly Baker, brow queen of Hollywood. And if you see a set of brows done by Kelly, you can tell that Kelly did those brows. And that's what I wanted for my brand too. I wanted someone to be able to see a photo and even the angle that it's taken in or the tone, the color tones of the photo, the stroke pattern of, you know, the feather brow or the way I highlight trim and shape of brow. I wanted someone to be able to identify, oh, those brows are by Susie. So I'm glad that you say that because that's what I've always dreamt of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've definitely hit the nail on the head there. I mean, when I'm scrolling on the gram, I'm like, oh my goodness, they <laughs> are incredible. And you know, it's a great, um, it's a great testament to you because as a technician and as an artist, you have really defined your craft, you know, and you've put in those hours. Can I ask, what does your training look like behind the scenes? So how do you kind of stay educated and up to date with what's going on in the industry? You need to stay on top of it because every, everything's changing. You need to keep up with it. If it's someone I want to train with, I don't care how much it costs. I'm willing to invest into myself and into that knowledge because knowledge is power. So to this day, I never think someone asks me, how long did it take? For you to learn brows and I told them I'm still learning because I'm hungry I want to know more I want to know what's new whether it's equipment tools or a technique even if it's on the other side of the world I'll get on a plane and I'll go attend that training nothing's nothing will stop me from that I just I'm hungry for it after the break Susie and I talk about the work and what's next for her empire but first a word from today's beauty partner community, you can join thousands of beauty professionals across Australia who offer pay right, buy now, pay later payment plans for up to $10,000 for their clients. PayRight has been a game changer at cosmetic aesthetics business Juvenile Essence. By having PayRight available, Juvenile Essence noticed an increase in sales almost immediately and a boost in their average sales value as there is so much more opportunity to offer higher price packages. The team at Juvenile Essence said that being able to offer buy now, pay later empowers their clients to get the best results possible because they can offer them the choice in payment installations, which can optimize treatments and clients can reach their desired outcomes while staying on top of their budget. Who doesn't love that? Offer pay right, buy now, pay later payment plans to boost client numbers and support your business's return to growth. Sign up for free in just a matter of minutes by visiting www.payright.com.au forward slash beauty. Thank you so much to PayRight for making this episode possible. And now back to Susie. Yes, and I think that's so important for everyone to always come back to is that the industry is constantly evolving. I mean, we're seeing new products and new services and new people come through. And I love that you say that, like, spend the money, go travel, go do the work because you get stagnant otherwise. And also when you're, you're charging a certain price, your client is also paying for your experience and your knowledge as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people in our industry are really scared of price and they're scared of what they charge because they're like, oh, 
oh gosh, will my client, you know, pay this? Do they value me? Am I experienced enough? Are my services worth it? Yeah. It's really, really scary at the time. Did you ever have those feelings or were you always quite confident to say, actually, no, I've put in the hard work and I'm worth this price? Because I know how much I've spent on my own training, I'm comfortable charging what I do charge. But I also see other people charging really, really high prices and they've done two-day trainings Mm -hmm. versus artists that, you know, have spent over $100,000 in their trainings charging, you know, there's only like a $200 difference. So consumers need to know why they're paying that price because that artist has invested a lot into their education and their technique and their experience and even probably the quality of product. Yeah, I once saw, I think it was like an Instagram quote and it said, um, you're not paying for the 60 minutes that you're on the bed. You're paying for the experience that I've had for the last 16 years or something like that. And I really, that resonated with me so much. Yeah. You pay less, you pay twice. Yes. Oh, I like that. Unless you pay twice. I'm going to keep that. (laughs) Talk to me about then, you have two salons. Um, One is in Melbourne and one is in Sydney. When you were building those spaces, what was most important to you? So my goal has always been to maintain that high standard of work and that high quality, but also the same flair, whether you walk into Sydney or Melbourne, it's the same result and the same job. Um, no matter which girl you went to, I mean, every one of my artists, they have their own flares, but we follow the same steps and do the same techniques. So what you were talking about before, how you identify our set of brows, um, I train them to follow the same. Yes. Well, I'm so interested to find out how you manage and train and lead and get that consistency from another state because you're in Sydney and obviously you, you do browse in Sydney as well, but you've got a big team in Melbourne. So how do you make sure that your finger's on the pulse and everybody's doing their job? So I think having communication with them daily, I chat to them daily. They're always sending me photos When I'm in Melbourne, I'm always training them every spare second I have. Or if they don't have a client and I'm working on a client, I get them to come and watch me. So it's ongoing training for them as well. I think a lot of businesses are kind of scared. A lot of business owners are scared to put in the time and to put in the money of training because, and I often hear this, people say, well, tomorrow I'll train them and then they'll leave. Have you ever been worried about that? Or are you just like, let's do all of the training because I need you guys to be 10 out of 10 always? No, you can't live in fear like that. And if you're going to work every day, you need to be be able to trust the people that you work with and know them well enough. And I feel because they're working under my name, I'm very particular with who I hire and that they are competent and they are producing that quality of work that I want representing my name. So I'm not going to withhold anything from them. I want them to learn the best and know the best and what they choose to do. That's up to them. I want to ask you, because I am sure that they are therapists listening to this episode who would absolutely die for a dream job at Susie Mac Browse. (laughs) Talk to me. What do you look for in a team member? It's not just talent. I mean, talent's massive, but it has to be personality as well. They've got to be the right fit for the salon because We've created this environment that all the girls love coming into and they all get along with each other. They all support each other and it's a really nice vibe at the salon. So the person's just got to be the right fit. And, you know, they've got to have the eye for detail, but I am confident I can train them up to our standard anyway. So they've got to bring that other X factor. 
many years ago, somebody said to me in an interview that I was in, um, do you hire for will or skill? And Mm -hmm. then I've always just thought, well, we hire for will because you can't teach passion. I mean, you can teach anything, you know, like we're putting monkeys in planes and sending them up, you know, to to outer space, but we can't teach passion or dedication or hard work. Exactly. Or even in our role, eye for detail, it's huge. If they don't have that eye for detail, I cannot train them to be able to do the job. Yeah. Interesting. And I really like that cosmetic tattooists are called cosmetic tattoo artists because it really is an art. You know, you've got the the canvas of the face and then you're actually performing something that's going to be there pretty much forever. I mean, I know, you know, brows do fade, but it really is an art and you almost have to have a very creative flair innately to be able to actually perform those services. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about a mill. If, if it's a mill out, you need to be able to see that and it'd be obvious to you for you to correct it or balance the brow and create symmetry. So um, Susie, knowing what you know now and the fact that you started your business when you were 19 and so we've got about 10 years experience under our belt there, what is something that you wish somebody would have told you in the beginning? I wish someone reminded me to keep a work-life balance. As a business owner, it's never going to be 50-50. Your work is going to take a lot more energy. But if you don't maintain that balance, it, it does affect the business at the end of the day too. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hard work and sacrifice behind closed doors that people don't see. And, you know, obviously we don't put everything out there for everybody to see we do want you know some kind of privacy but I think that there is a lot of late nights there's a lot of tears there's a lot of drinking wine in the bathtub that um you know when we're having a meltdown that we don't actually understand because on the surface you know especially to therapists sometimes or even to our managers the business owner can come into the business and do a couple of clients and then you know go out for a coffee with the rep and then come back in and sometimes therapists look at the business owner and they think gosh, that is such an easy job. And then they get there. That is so true. They don't yeah. see the sleepless nights, you know, when you're up until four o'clock on, the, on your laptop, you know, figuring out things. And even all business owners now in this situation globally. Oh, exactly. I mean, everyone you mentioned there, like having a backup plan, I'm sure that many business owners couldn't imagine that this situation would hit. I mean, even the top business owners in the world, the top top economists in the world didn't imagine that this would hit. But I love that you're saying there, you know, have a backup plan or even just like a plan B. Like you said before, us therapists, we're artists. So I'm very creative. I'm arty. I'm a risk taker. Um, And a lot of people don't know that my sister is actually my business partner, my older sister. So she does a lot of the background work, the numbers and the admin side of things. So I'm grateful that she can take that load off me as well. And there's not as much pressure on just me alone to make these decisions and have these plans. Well, it's about the company you keep, isn't it? And the support that's around you. Otherwise, I think we'd all be going insane. (laughs) Can I ask you then about what's next? So you've obviously got your two clinics, you've got this huge celebrity profile of clients and you are doing lots of workshops. You're ticking off the international kind of basket. What else is on your to-do list in business? So I would like to travel more and do more international masterclasses and focus more on training one-on-one in Sydney and growing my Sydney client base. 
Oh, okay. Yes. Fantastic. And so any therapist can um, book into your classes and learn your kind of Susie McIntosh technique, can't they? They can. And in Sydney, you actually get that one-on-one private experience, you know, over two days, learning, feathering, powdering. Um, yeah, with just me at the salon. I think that's really special because a lot of trainers or educators just open their classes to, you know, everyone and anyone. And all of a sudden you've got 12 people in the class and you can't really ask your questions. What was yep. your decision behind that kind of training? It was to cater to different styles of learning because someone can go to a class of 10, 15, 100 and just watch the demonstration and they can pick it up and understand it. Whereas other people need to have that one-on-one and have things explained to them in more depth and see things up close because they might be more intimidated or afraid to ask questions in a bigger group setting. Yeah, I think that's so true. Like often I'll, you know, join a class and there's so many people trying to ask a question or so many people trying to crowd the bed that you actually can't really see what's going on and you feel like sometimes you're kind of lost in those classes. So does that give you a little bit more, um, you know, personality with the person who you're teaching and actually help them with the tools? Oh, of course. I feel like you get a lot more out of the one-on-one training with me because when we spend the whole day together, we don't just just cover just the brows. You know, we go into how to edit the photo, when to post, you know, what I've done in my business, how I can help them in different ways. So it's getting to know each other on that friendship basis and then they've also got that support ongoing after they leave. Right. Okay. So it's actually more than just the physical side of doing the treatment. It sounds like there's a lot of kind of business and background and everything else that kind of surrounds supporting the treatment as well then. Yeah. We build a relationship and I feel like they get a lot more out of spending the day with me than they would see me demoing in front of a group. I mean, they may get a lot out of that too, but it's, it's different yeah. what you're actually getting out of each experience. And to me, when I first started learning, I would I would pay anything to be able to have one-on-one time for an entire day with an artist that I inspired to be like. Oh, it's unheard of. It's really unheard of. A lot of the times, you know, people do want to maximize their time, which is completely fair, um, but they do open up classes for a lot more people. Um, even in training situations that I've been in, sometimes I've had like 30 people in the class and everyone's sitting on top of each other. So what you're yeah. providing there is so special because it's one-on-one, it's bespoke training. I mean, you would probably in that situation never do the same training or same education ever again. Once you get to know each other on a personal level, I really push them and I'm so particular with what their work is at the end of the training too. I want to see improvement. I want to see movement. I want to see their confidence grow by the end of it. Otherwise I just, I don't feel good about myself. I need to see, I need to see that growth and that improvement at the end of the day. And there's been, times where I've refused to give them my certificate and force them to come back I go home practice and actually come back another day because I just wasn't happy I, I knew that they could do better whereas in a class I couldn't pick that up walking through and just scanning about how people are working on their silicon pads when you're working with someone one-on-one you see their their flaws and be able to help them personally 
Yeah, but that says volumes about yourself as a trainer, because at the end of the day, if I was to train with you and then somebody said, where did you get trained? And I said, oh, Susie McIntosh trained me. It's a reflection of your work as well. Exactly. It's not even just a reflection of my business. It's a reflection of my name. And I don't want them, you know, producing not great work and and then saying that they've trained with me because that reflects badly as me as a trainer if their work's not mimicking mine to a, a degree. I treat them like I would be training my staff. I give them the same amount of help and support as I would my own staff working under my name. Yeah. And how proud are you when you see somebody picking up that technique and you're like, yes, girl, you've got this. Oh, my heart explodes. I just, I I love it. It's like watching your kid take their first steps, even though they're advanced artists. But when you see someone pick it up and and they're happy and they're confident and proud of themselves too, it's really nice. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I'll make sure that I pop in the show notes if anybody does want to um, book in a class with you and experience that one-on-one lesson. Um, I think that's absolutely so invaluable. um, So people can click through there and find out how they can make that appointment with you. Thank you so much. That'd be great. Susie, one final question for you. What would you say to somebody who is listening to this episode and perhaps thinking about maybe they're wanting to start their own business? I would say if it's something that they're interested in and passionate about, um, there's two factors, competence and confidence. You have to have them both together because confidence on its own without the competence, you know, someone can go out and get a big loan, but then not have the competence and fail. Yet there could be someone that's competent, but lacks the confidence. So if that's you, you need to build your confidence and go for it. Take the risk. And like what we were saying before, if it fails, you've got something to go back to, but don't live in regret. That is beautiful advice. Susie McIntosh, thank you so much for having a chat with me today. It's been absolutely delightful getting to know you. It's been fun. Thanks, Tamara, for your time. Isn't Susie just divine? What an actual sweetheart. I always love hearing about what makes somebody enter into the beauty industry and all the bits behind the brand or the personality, which we don't often get to see across socials or at events. So I hope you enjoy this behind the scenes insight into the brow queen herself. A very big thank you to you all, as always, for your time and your ears and your support, of course, for tuning into today's episode. It would mean so much to me if you had a spare two minutes where you could tell a friend or an industry colleague about our podcast so that we can keep inspiring and motivating the professional beauty industry one episode at a time. As you guys know, I'm an independent podcaster, so your word of mouth is all I have to continue my work. While you're there, feel free to share this episode across your socials and make sure you tag at Susie McIntosh and myself at Tamara Shaw Reed and of course at Butte Industry so that we can see how and where you are listening from. Until next time, stay connected.